Welcome to Chicagoland Parenting Stories. I am your host, Lisa Zimmerman. Let's get started with today's parenting story. Welcome to episode 29 of Chicagoland Parenting Stories. My guest today is Christina Scalise Morrissey. Christina is the owner of Hummingbird Pediatric Therapies. She is a speech language pathologist and feeding therapist with offices in Westmont and Woodridge. Welcome, Christina. Well, good morning. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me today. No problem. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself and then your children by uh, age and then if you're comfortable name also? Sure. Well, like you said, my name is Christina. I am a pediatric speech therapist and also a feeding therapist. Um, I have been in the profession for almost 30 years now. So time does fly. Um, We have my husband and I have two daughters. Uh, Olivia is 23 and Sophia is 21. Olivia is uh, wrapping up her master's in speech language pathology as well. And Sophia is uh, graduating with her bachelor's um, in nursing this May. So we're looking forward to having potentially both of them back home um, in, in the nest soon. I was just going to ask you if they were, you know, mm-hmm. away at school or if they're home or whatever. So what was it like going through the empty nest for the last few years? You know, it was good. I, I mean, COVID definitely hit it. Uh, we were we were lucky in that both of the girls go to St. Mary's College uh, in Notre Dame. And so they were in person all through mm-hmm. COVID. Uh, so they really had a good college experience, even with all of that. And my husband and I both work so much uh, that, you know, it, um, it didn't really feel too different, you know, but it's fun to always have them come home for visits and that, and they're not far away. They're only an hour and a half. So we're able to go visit them as well. Yes. Do you think that they'll relocate back to this area then? Is that the plan? Olivia is planning on moving back to Chicago and not sure about Sophia. She has talked about maybe trying something down South for a couple of years after graduation. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's lots of movement right now. If you had to describe your parenting style, what would it be? You know, I think just being firm, but loving, um, allowing kids to make mistakes. Uh, You know, we feel strongly that, um, kids learn the best when they, when you allow them to, to make some, some mistakes and just have those firm boundaries for them, especially when they're younger, you know, obviously as they get older, you have to kind of let them spread their wings and, you know, accept your success as a parent, um, you know, when they kind of fly off on their own, which I think is something just even in my profession, we find that parents have a hard time with is just trusting that what you've done, you've given your children a good foundation and just trust for them to kind of um, take it and and learn as they go. Sounds really hard though. It is. It's very hard. <laughs> it sounds really hard. Like as I I'm make sitting it here, I'm like, simple. oh my God, am I going to start crying? But like, you know, like the idea yeah. of like, it's hard, you know, mm-hmm. and I, it's funny because my friends that have like teenage kids who are never around, they're like, well, this is how you prepare for it. Like they're never around and then you get yeah. used to it. So yeah. by the time they actually do go away, you've already kind of had those steps in motion. Yeah. It's fun to see them go through all the different stages though, and to become their own, their own person. I mean, like I said, I think the hardest thing is just accepting success that you had as a parent that they're that they're doing a good job, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. 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 Well, and it's an interesting balance too, between like 
how much you've done, but also just how much they are just the person that they are. And then mm-hmm. whether or not you're su- celebrating successes or, you know, things that you are like, oh no, is that my fault? Or is this just how they are? That's got to be really tricky, but also like a good challenge. Yeah. But there's also, and there are challenges along the way too, because, you know, I think one of the most important things that you can do, even when they're away at school is just to maintain that closeness with them and let them know that no matter you know, what happens, what mistakes you feel like you did. We always want them. My husband, and I always want them to feel like we should be the first phone call you make. Um, there's, there's not going to be any yelling or any, anything like that, but you want them to feel safe that, um, they can always you turn to you, um, mm-hmm. and, and look to you for support. So. Yeah. My son's in sixth grade and he just got a phone and we just had started having those conversations like, okay, if there's ever a situation you are in where you're not safe or people are drinking or they're doing drugs or something's going on, we will pick you up mm-hmm. non-starter. Like we right. will not ask you any questions. We will just pick you up just so that you're safe and bring you home. And, you know, and just know that we'll always do that, whether you're in middle school, high school, college, whatever, um, Absolutely. And just beginning to have those mm-hmm. conversations, which I think is, you know, really important. Mm-hmm. But it Absolutely. seems like awfully early to have to do it. But I guess it's better to have the conversation than not, right? Well, even just on a, a smaller scale, if if a parent doesn't feel comfortable about talking about drugs or anything like that out in the party, just to reinforce to them, you know, maybe you did a prank at the local park or something and you got in trouble. Don't feel bad calling home. Right. We we are here and we will help help figure it out, you know. And I think in the moment is not the right time to really address it. In the moment is is you know, you have to just make the child feel safe uh and um supported. Then you certainly address it as a, as a parent, you know, to make sure that they know why you know they made that decision um and was it a good choice or was it a bad choice? Right. Yeah. We act, we also said like, you know, you can always use us as an excuse. Like, Oh, I just got a message from my parents. I got to come home something, you know, whatever, you know, we're always right. going to be the bad guys. Like that's absolutely fine. That's, oh. that's great advice. Great yeah. advice. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. Yes. yes. Without <laughs> disclosing your age, which generation are you part of? Oh, I'm 53. I have no problem disclosing my age. <laughs> I'm not too fine. far behind you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, I don't. I, you know, I feel like every year is a gift, you know, mm-hmm. so um, there's a lot of people that are denied the um, the ability to to grow old, older. So no, um, I have no problem sharing my age. So that makes you Generation X then? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just yeah. I was just explaining to my son the long phone cord and how like, you know, we didn't have cell phones, but you could call my house. We don't have a house phone. This is why we have to give you a phone. But we used to have this cord and my mom right. could go talk in her room in private. My brother could talk in his room in private. I could talk in my room in private. Yes. He was like, he couldn't even picture this, cord, you know, the cord. It was really funny. I tell my girls one story when I was a freshman in college, um, after one of our first big tests, I wanted to call home and I had to go in my dorm in the hallway and I had to sit on the floor because there was a wall phone. And if you got up from your spot, you missed your spot. And there Mm -hmm. were like 20 other kids in front of me that wanted to use the phone. Um, It's such a foreign concept now because of all the luxuries that we have, you know, but yeah, for sure. It, It truly is. And just the idea of like so many things you had to do in public. My son's a huge fan of Seinfeld and I think, you know, slightly inappropriate probably for his age. But the thing I love about it is what he's paying attention to is like, what's an answering machine? Oh, you had to call your answering machine from a cell phone. And oh, how did you go? How did they get lost at the airport and they're picking each other up? Like, how did you even know where to go? And I'm just like, I don't know. Sometimes we just knew where to go. 
anyway. <laughs> Can you describe Absolutely. the work that you do for those that may not understand how you help new families? Sure. So, um, I own a multidisciplinary clinic. Uh, Hummingbird has PTOT speech, uh, feeding therapy. We do a lot of feeding therapy for infants, um, supporting them with breastfeeding and then even transitioning to puree. And then we have counseling, aquatic therapy, hippotherapy, and um, a developmental preschool. So really our job, I got into to this. Um, I've been a therapist for a long time and I really just got into this to help kiddos. Um, and the growth of our practice has been very organically. When we see that there's a need, we're like, okay, let's do it. Let's find a way to make it happen. Um, and so that's what we do, whether it's a child that was born prematurely or born with a genetic syndrome or autism, or just, just a little delay. They just may need a little a boost to get them back up onto the developmental curve. Um, and then parent coaching and parent education is a big piece to it. And there's a lot of, um, you know, when you have a child that needs a little extra help, sometimes your go-to parenting techniques may not necessarily uh, be working. And so to just ensure parents that you're not doing anything wrong, your child is just learning differently. And so we have to adjust so that um, they know how to um, how to respond and how to learn. Um, and just to really provide that counseling for parents and let them know that, you know, we got this, uh, you know, we know how to help you and everything will be okay. Hmm. What is your favorite thing about the work that you do? Just meeting new families and kids. I, I always say that the kids therapy is my therapy, you know, so it's, um, I have my office at both locations is right off of the front with a glass door. So all the kids are constantly coming in and, you know, peeking through and I get to see them and it's just, it's, I really don't know of what could be a more rewarding field. I think all of the pediatric therapies, uh, is just so fun because you get to celebrate every little milestone because you can't have the big milestones without those little, those little milestone moments. And so that's, that's the most rewarding for sure is just seeing the kids progress and, and the parents just start to feel more comfortable and empowered themselves that mm -hmm. they've got this. Yeah. What is the biggest, biggest challenge with the work that you do then? The biggest challenge is I would say, uh, probably just, um, it's one of the more rewarding parts of it, but advocating for the child and trying to get them the services that they need and trying to get it covered for families, um, through insurances and different grants. And that is when you're going through having a child that has a diagnosis to then have to be concerned about how are we going to pay for this? Mm -hmm. Um, that's very difficult, but we have a, we have a whole department of insurance advocates that work um, just on that, just to make sure that we do what we're, we need to do to get the child, um, the, the services that they need. Did you always want to be a parent? Oh, yes. Okay. Without a doubt. Unequivocally. Yes. <laughs> I always thought I would have boys. I thought I would be a boy mom. Who knows <laughs> why? And I have two beautiful daughters. So yes. Okay, great. Yeah. And at what age of your child do you think you really start parenting them? Well, I think it starts from birth. I mean, if you look at more the the emotional side, I mean, obviously, emotional development is from birth all the way on up, whether, you know, um, through their the whole lifespan, but really just when they're little and they start to learn, um, 
you know, all those developmental milestones and just providing that, um, you know, we talked earlier about that emotional support that if something happens, you know, call us, we should be the first phone call that you make and we'll help you through it. And that's the same way, you know, whether a child falls and they need that emotional support or that security blanket. So it, mm-hmm. it starts from birth. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of like the toddler that falls down and then they look over at you. And then like, yeah. if you're like, Oh, it's okay, then they're fine. But if you look worried, then they start to cry, Yeah, you know, yeah. like how much yeah. they really respond off of what you give them. Yeah. And that's a skill that we work on a lot, even in therapy that that's referred to as joint attention, mutual engagement, you know, just to, um, they may not be communicating with you with language yet with words, but they're clearly talking to you like, mom, I fell. What are you going to do? Like, you mm-hmm. know, come get me. Is know? this okay? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Am I going to be okay? Yes. You're yes. going to be okay. Yeah. Do you, did you have to parent your children differently? And if so, how, you know, they are, every child is different. Um, we go through that with a, a lot of our families that we meet and they're like, well, you know, but my other child doesn't. And I, I think it's easy to compare because you, you have your frame of reference in your first child and then your second one. But yes, my two girls are very different, very different personalities. Um, I feel like we have parented both of them pretty much the same. There's just always going to be a little give and take that you have to respond based on uh, personalities and that. Mm-hmm. Okay. What is your most embarrassing parenting moment? Embarrassing. Oh, when we embarrass the girls, you know, when we, oh. <laughs> well, this is when you were embarrassed, like oh, something happened and it was like, yeah. you were so embarrassed and oh my God, I can't yeah. believe it. Uh, you know what? Probably forgetting to pick one of them up on time. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, you know, oh, yeah. which I know <laughs> it sounds like it's impossible yeah. to do, but it's amazing oh. how very easy to do. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I can see how it happens. Yeah. If you had friendships when your children were babies, um, are you still friends with those people? Do you keep in touch? A lot of them. Yeah. Really? That's fantastic. Yeah. Those yeah long friendships. You know what? It takes a village. Um, I was diagnosed with cancer, um, at a, at a young age when my girls were little. Mm. Um, and, um, and so I was, I saw the effect of just having a community rally around. And there were so many people that just from the teachers to um, other moms that just really kind of took the girls because the girls were only eight and 10 when I was diagnosed. So, Mm. you know, to take them under their wing and those are, those are just times that you never forget and you never forget those people. And I know COVID made it a little hard. You kind of lose touch with people, but, um, they're always there for you. And so, um, so you never forget that, you know, so, and do those yes. kids still, you know, like if those kids are in the room together, is it almost like they just kind of pick up too? Yeah. You know, so it's interesting. My girls went to a Catholic school, so they were, um, they were together with their classmates from kindergarten all the way through eighth grade. So for nine years they were mm-hmm. together and they still have a lot of those, a lot of those friendships, you know, that they will get together even despite going to different high schools and colleges. And I think it's easier nowadays too, for them to stay in touch because of social media. Like mm-hmm. I, I didn't have that in mm-hmm. high school and college. And some of my longtime friends, I didn't reconnect with them until after I accidentally found them on social media. So it's different for this generation. There's a lot of good things to it. There's a lot of negative things to them being um, so out there. Um, 
from a social media standpoint in terms of parenting and that, but right. Um, Cause I'm thinking like with the ages of your children, they're kind of like, you know, the, one of the first true, they were like in the generations middle, I feel to like. truly grow up within the social media realm, not just mm-hmm. like, you know, like us where it's like, we remember the invention of the internet and things like that, but truly like right. that change in the way, like the fabric of society. Yeah. It didn't really like my girls didn't even have cell phones until junior high. And mm-hmm. it's not like they were late to, to, to get it, you know? Um, but no, I feel like their social media really didn't start hitting until they were more in like high school. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. My so son nowadays he, kids have to manage it. Mm-hmm. Oh, very gosh. young. I mean, <laughs> very young. He just got a phone, but he's the last person by far of anybody he knew to get mm-hmm. one um, in this area in Lombard. And he, uh, we had to go to meetings last year about issues with social media and bullying and stuff among the fifth graders and the fourth graders because they all had phones. And yeah. it, so it was just really interesting. And I feel like we kind of, you know, gave him a break from all that. And he still doesn't seem that interested in the social media aspect. He, he has to request apps from us and he hasn't requested any of those yet. He's very excited mm-hmm. to be able to text though, which is really funny mm-hmm. um, because it's like, oh yeah, grandma was texting me about the playoff game. And you know what I mean? Like that yeah. kind of thing, you know, like mm-hmm. somebody pops in your head, you can just message them. Um, but yeah, it'll, that'll be, that'll be the next step. But I don't know. My husband keeps on feeling like, yeah, he just made me one of those kids. who's not that into it, but I don't know. It's gotta be awfully hard <laughs> unless you really have a good core group of friends that not, you know, you all see each other a lot, but it is. And I think you just have to help to monitor it uh, because children just don't have the capacity, um, the, the frontal lobe control to, to understand a lot of, you know, what does that mean when you post something on social media that is mm-hmm. out there and it's forever out there and they just don't have that perspective taking yet. Um, and they won't get it until well into, you know, late teens, early twenties. Um, so just to, I would say, just try to monitor it as, as much as you can. Mm-hmm. What do you see as the biggest trend in parenting right now? The biggest trend, boy, that's a good one. Um, I don't know. I I think I I think just you know trying to protect kids a little too much this is my own personal opinion but maybe just trying to protect kids too much um even from just you know with what we went through with covid um in terms of like germs and everything I I just keep saying to my kids like we have to reset all their immune systems now because you know they were just so sheltered but true. just from the big picture standpoint too um just kids, kids have to learn on their own. Uh, they have, they have to fail. Um, and I think hovering above them and is, you know, you think you're protecting them, but you know, not necessarily in every situation, you know, obviously we will always protect our children, no matter how old we get or they get, but, um, letting them make mistakes on their, on their own and learn from it is one of the biggest things that we probably can do for our kids. It's the hardest. It truly is. I mean, it's like teaching that gift of like problem solving and Mm -hmm. consequences and things like that. And obviously, you know, in the guise of keeping them safe, but I, I do agree that, you know, there is an awful lot of learning that you wind up doing on your own. And it's Mm -hmm. probably better to start learning those lessons earlier than later. (laughs) Yeah. Cause I could just see how that could really hinder you in other forms. If you weren't allowed to just have, the grace to just make mistakes sometimes because we all do. Right. Right. Because the thing is, is and if that's, you, 
are expecting perfection out of your child, then you need to be delivering that. And that's a tall order. Yes. Yeah. And that's something that we work on a lot in our academy here um, because our program, it, you know, it's academic in that we, we cover the alphabet and one, two, threes and phonics and all of that. But the focus of our academy is that social emotional learning. They have to learn how to pivot. They have to learn how to accept defeat. They can't always be first. They, you know, and to, to teach those skills in a safe setting mm-hmm. um, where, you know, we're here to support them and help them navigate those feelings and help them understand what their body feels like and how they can be resilient. I mean, those, all those soft skills, I think need, definitely needs a stronger emphasis in these early years. And unfortunately, because the academic standards just keep getting thrown on um, schools and everything at a younger, younger age, we're just not, um, not paying attention or not able to address that as, as much. So. Right. And to me, that seems like that should be what we're doing in early childhood. And typically what we are doing in early childhood education is that, but I was actually just thinking when you were talking about like, oh man, what about the kids that like missed out on that piece with COVID? I wonder how that's going to look now because like if those kids are like in kindergarten first grade do they have a harder time with those things because they were just those repetitive lessons that you have to learn and learn before it becomes muscle memory that yes you're not always going to be able to be the one to be the line leader (laughs) you know like I remember my son was that age I'm like you always want to be the line leader you know what I mean like and that there are disappointments with that but it's also an okay thing Right. Um, We've definitely seen an uptick in the number of um, calls that we get for the twos and the threes that are starting in a preschool program and they just, you know, can't separate or the teachers are calling and they're like, they just can't keep their body in the group. Now we have to keep in mind they're two and three-year-olds. I mm-hmm. mean, so, you know, we have to make sure that we know what the, what the expectations are and to set them appropriately. But we do, we, we work with a lot of kids and, and they're not going to, they're not getting that we see any sort of long-term diagnosis out of it. It's just, they haven't had the experiences like most two and three-year-olds because, you know, their schedules were so altered by COVID. Mm-hmm. See, that's really interesting because I haven't even thought about like that age group in terms of like how you can see the effects now, like in a classroom or a group setting mm-hmm. of, you know, because it's just interesting because that makes me, you know, just realize, you know, how social babies are, which I know that because I work with babies, but just how different that is. And I always see it from like the parent's perspective where if somebody says like, well, like, you know, they don't even know how to do this. They've never gotten to do that. And I think to myself, yeah, but like, you've never gotten to do that as a parent. Like you're missing out on like, you know, the opportunity to do the sleepovers and those types of things, because, you know, of the age and people are worried about germs or there's a certain, you know, like we only trust certain families and things like that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's going to be so much that people are going to write and observe about this generation of kids coming out. And it'll be interesting to see, just from like a global perspective, the different states and how things were handled and then the education mm-hmm. systems within and funding and all those things, like yes. if those outcomes are severely different or if they're not, or how it actually kind of all plays out. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. What have your children taught you the most about being a parent? Uh, just unconditional love. Hmm. Yes. You know? Yeah. 
That's a great answer. I love that. A two-way street, (laughs) you know? Yeah. 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 That's really hard. For -hmm. our final question, what is your biggest parenting advice to share with new parents? Well, you're going to hear a theme here, but just it's okay to let them fail, you know, Mm. and, and let them, let them learn through some of their mistakes, assure them that you will be there for them. Um, but you know, you do your job and you try to give them the skills and that, that foundation that they need, and then, um, just support them and trust them, uh, that, you know, to implement what you taught them. And if they go astray, just you're there to kind of help gear them, get them back onto path. I think that that's really sweet, hard to do, but very, very sweet. hard, very hard. Yes. <laughs> Well, we are out of time. Thank you for joining us for episode 29 of Chicagoland Parenting Stories. And thank you to our guest, Christina Scalise Morsi, owner of Hummingbird Pediatric Therapies. Thank you, Christina. Thank you so much, Lisa. Have a great day.